Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I am Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are excited to welcome back to the podcast, Sister Lori Newbold, a member of the Young Women General Board. Sister Newbold, thanks for coming back. We're excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I am super excited to be back again. So thank you. Yes. So in an earlier episode, which we will be sure to link in the description of this episode, we were able to talk with Sister Newbold a lot about her experiences and insights working as both a seminary teacher and mental health counselor. And she also taught us really beautifully about the importance of developing a personal relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. It was a great conversation and we learned so much. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and give that one a listen. And we're excited to have her back on today to talk a little bit more about the scriptures. Yes, because Sister Newbold is such a scholar of the scriptures, we'd also hoped to ask her in her earlier interview about some of her favorite female scripture heroines, but there just wasn't time. We had so many other things to talk about. So we've brought her back on today to teach us about a few of her favorite women in the scriptures, and we're thrilled because in addition to this, we've asked her to share with us some skills for scripture study, so what has worked for her and what she teaches her students that's been helpful for them. So. Mm -hmm. Sister Newbold, before we dive into discussing women in the scriptures, we would love to have you describe just in a bit more detail your full-time job as the Director of Training Services for Seminary and Institutes Worldwide, which is very cool. I love my current role in seminaries and institutes. It's interesting. It's not a career path I ever imagined being on, so it's a constant learning process because in seminaries and institutes, they often ask you to take different positions. And so I thought for sure I'd just be teaching six periods a day for however long, which I was super happy about, right? <laughs> so when it came and Brother Webb, our administrator, asked me to take this position, it was super surprising for me in a lot of ways and a huge, huge learning curve. Like I was joke kind of saying, I'm not a business brain, if you will. <laughs> I am a how do you feel about business brain, right? Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about strategy. I want to talk about how you feel about strategy. I'm a teacher and a counselor, Therapist, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so as I've gotten into this, there's been so many wonderful things that have been opportunity. And as you mentioned, just the opportunity to see seminary and institutes and the church for that matter on a global scale has been incredibly eye-opening. So a lot of what I do is because of the global nature of my assignment, we seek to produce a lot of resources and things that people can train locally versus like necessarily us doing all the training. Exporting. From yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's differences in culture and there's differences in even the growth of the church and literacy levels. And just everywhere you go, there's just so many different things that the church is facing that the types of resources that we provide, we really rely heavily on our local employees to make the adjustments and adaptations that they need. And so that's been one of the highlights of my job is just associating with incredible men and women around the world who are so consecrated in doing the work. So, I mean, like it says, training services. So we seek to provide a lot of teacher training. We also have worked with some administrative training and some philosophies about teaching and learning. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're just constantly evaluating what do we believe in? What's the best way to do it? So it's super fun. You know, people always ask me, like, well, wouldn't you rather be in the classroom? And that question's always funny to me because I think I'm where the Lord wants me to be. Therefore, I'm happy, right? Because mm -hmm. this is where he wants me to be. Do I miss teaching? Oh, 
I miss teenagers like every day of my life. <laughs> They're my favorite. And I love young adults. Put me to family party and I want to sit with the teenagers, mm-hmm. right? Put me with strangers and I pick to go hang out with the teenagers. It's not that I don't like adults. Don't get me wrong, right? <laughs> But it's I just a special affinity. Oh my for, gosh, yeah, yeah they're people. just so fun, and there's an energy about them that I just love. So, yeah, that that piece of me misses my association tremendously with them, and at the same time, I love what I get to learn and see and do, and what the Lord's developing in me. And one of the really sweet reassurances that I had is I was kind of in the middle of the process of this of. While I'm confident if I were to go back in the classroom tomorrow, I'd be a little rusty on some things. The Lord promised me, he just said, you're not going to lose your ability to teach. I'm just going to increase your ability to do other things. And it reminded me a lot of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood. When a Melchizedek priesthood holder receives the Melchizedek priesthood, he doesn't lose any ability to function in the Aaronic priesthood. But his ability is expanded tremendously, right? And I think sometimes we're afraid of new opportunities because we think we're going to lose what we've already gained. But what I've learned about Heavenly Father is that it's they're just building blocks. He says, this isn't the time and season for that, but it doesn't mean you're going to lose it. I'm just going to continue to develop other things. I love the the words in the hymn, more holiness give me, because the phrase in there says, more used would I be, hmm. right, is the plea that. in that one. And the more that I think we develop, the more the Lord can use us in a variety of circumstances, even if we're not always doing what we love or what we used to love. Mm-hmm. We need to learn to love new things mm-hmm. in addition to the old things. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. So we are ready to dive in for you to teach us both about how to improve our study of the scriptures and kind of get the scriptures to work for us and to share some stories of women in the scriptures. And Shaylin and I are ready students. We're ready. I love it. <laughs> We're so you. excited for this. <laughs> I love it. Uh, as we talked about this, try, I said, you guys are going to bring your scriptures. Nobody wants to just listen to me talk for an hour. So, <laughs> so I'd love to do this together. Learning What I believe about learning is the idea that nobody's really smarter than another. We may have different knowledge. But when it comes to spiritual learning, everybody's knowledge is needed. Heavenly Father's prepared you with experiences just like he's prepared me. So I think that's really key. So as I was talking with my sister about this too, one of the things that we've talked about is how sometimes the scriptures, people are like, read them, they're powerful. And and like, you know, and I've had students over the years endlessly saying, but what if I don't get anything out of them? And, you know, my sister and I have talked about how helpful it is at times to just maybe have a couple of skills. Mm-hmm. So I thought today we'd pick a skill and then study a woman and then pick a skill and study a woman. And we're not going to go all the way through because some of these women I could talk for literally, I could go Sydney Rigdon on you for like three to six hours <laughs> without batting an eye, okay? So we'll do a short and condensed version and just warm you up. And I'd invite the same people who are listening, if you have a chance, I know you're often listening on the go, but if you do, to grab your scriptures mm-hmm. and do this with us. You know, we'll answer, but if you need to pause and think through that question yourself and then and do it that way. So does that sound so okay? So cool. This yes. is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's the three women I was thinking of, and we're not just in a specific order, but the woman with the issue of blood, Hannah, and then I thought about Nephi's wife. And uh, one of the reasons mm-hmm. I chose her is because I don't think a lot of us know much, right? Nope. No, very little. And that's kind of my intent on this. So there's a lot of women in scriptures, like a lot of us kind of step and say, if I were to ask you, name the women in the Book of Mormon, people would say Sariah. They would say Abish. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> and then they're like, maybe they're done there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I believe Nephi's wife, if you're looking and thinking, is as present as he is. 
maybe a little less in some ways because he's the prophet and the Lord seems to focus a lot on, on prophets, right? And how he builds prophets. But there's something in there I think that one of the skills, and so let's just jump to it, mm-hmm. is the skill of wondering. So I think lots of times we go to the scriptures for answers and sometimes we don't take enough time to just think mm-hmm. and like open the door for revelation. It, it's, it could be part of pondering if you want, but I call it the skill of wondering. And there's a couple times in the scriptures where they're asked, what do you wonder? But we're going to go to 1 Nephi 7. And so here's what we're going to do. I've selected a couple of verses that tell us a little bit about Nephi's wife. And I want you, I'm going to ask you the question, what do you wonder when you read this? And this is the weird part. We're not going to answer. We're just going to ask questions. We're just going to wonder. We're just going to wonder together. (laughs) Is that okay? I love it. And so if it helps you, if you're listening again, to write down the statement, I wonder, dot, dot, dot. And then make a list, great. Or just think as we kind of go through. So if we go to First Nephi chapter 7, the context is, right, that Nephi and Lehi's family, they're out in the desert. They've already gone back and got the plates. So we've been through the experience where Zoram's now with us, and we have the plates. And then the second time, the Lord says, now I want you to go back to Jerusalem again. And this time... You're going to get the women, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Ishmael's family, but what does he have? He has daughters, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, sons too. But we know that this is going to be a really important piece. So let's go to verse 1 of chapter 7. And maybe one of you, I don't, either one of you would just want to read it, and then let's, I'd ask you that question. Wonder about. What do you wonder about Nephi's wife as we read this verse? I can read that one. We can just take yeah, turns. Yeah, we'll take turns. Perfect. So this is First Nephi chapter 7, verse 1, and it says, And now I would that ye might know that after my father Lehi had made an end of prophesying concerning his seed, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto him again, saying that it was not meet for him, Lehi, that he should take his family into the wilderness alone, but that his sons should take daughters to wife, that they might raise up seed unto the Lord in the land of promise. Excellent. So we know who Nephi's wife is. I mean, we know that he's going to get a wife, right? What do you wonder from that statement? I wonder who she is and what her life has been like up to this point to that now she's going to decide to go with her father with this other family into the wilderness. Yeah. I wonder that. Yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how she felt about leaving Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And I imagine, like, we're real people, right? And we're all... (laughs) You know, it's not like, oh, leave my house tonight and never come back. Great. Like it was probably, I I imagine she went on some sort of a journey of accepting, you know, this is going to be life moving forward. Yeah. And that's a similar, I've I've had a wonder too about, did she have a spiritual impression? That's what I wonder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Super good. You ready for the next verse? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So they go back, right? And then they come to Ishmael, they return their brethren. So we're going to jump over to verses four and five with that same question of what do you wonder about Nephi's wife? And it came to pass that we went up into the house of Ishmael, and we did gain favor in the sight of Ishmael, insomuch that we did speak unto him the words of the Lord. And it came to pass that the Lord did soften the heart of Ishmael and also his household, insomuch that they took their journey with us down into the wilderness to the tent of our father. What else do you wonder Well, this is just fascinating to me because in reading these scriptures, they're only talking to Ishmael, but obviously there was a lot more to his family than just him. And so it's just, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's the whole household. So I just wonder what that circumstance was like that they're hearing this plan and how are they reacting to it? That's what I wonder. What's that family council like? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and if they knew of Lehi and his family and what they're like, Mm. 
well, he's kind of crazy. Do we really want to go with his family? Or if it was like, no, we know and we trust Lehi and this is sort of a wild plan, but you know, we believe that he's being led by God or, you know. Yes, right. And I love, I love the statement in the beginning of five, like the Lord did soften the heart of Ishmael. You can imagine a natural resistance or questioning mm-hmm. or I, I don't even know resistance. That's probably the wrong word, but just something of like, I don't know, same thing. So it makes me wonder a little bit too of like Ishmael obviously is a righteous and worthy man, you know, and that family too in that, in that sense. So it just makes me wonder too about, I wonder about Nephi's wife's relationship with her dad. Hmm. And then, I mean, we could do the same thing with Laman and Lemuel's and Sam's wife and Zoram's wife. Like, we could do the same thing with all of these. But it just makes me kind of wonder if they had a similar heart softening process, like you went back to Carly, and but what's it like with her dad and what discussions went on in that household? Mm-hmm. So, okay, verse 6. And it came to pass that as we journeyed in the wilderness, behold, Laman and Lemuel and two of the daughters of Ishmael and the two sons of Ishmael and their families did rebel against us, yea, against me, Nephi and Sam and their father, Ishmael and his wife and his three other daughters. So what do you wonder? I've always thought it's interesting that there was almost immediately this natural separation of Laman and Lemuel and these two wives and brothers and then these other sisters and their dad and mom. So it just makes you wonder about the character of, and and also that they're a family and they probably loved and cared about each other mm-hmm. and still were together, but like the character of the two groups that kind of split. Mm-hmm. Super good. And I just kind of always wonder why Laman and Lemuel do the good things that they do too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knowing kind of eventually where they land and how much turmoil it causes anyway, I'm just like, I wonder what it is that makes them be obedient to some things mm-hmm. in the first place. Because they did. They went with their father in the wilderness. I mean, this is what, the third time after yeah, going, you know, going home. Yeah. And it's like they could have easily stayed. And so I just kind of wonder what makes them be obedient in the first place and then what happened where it was like this, yeah, this separation that happens so soon after. Because you can connect with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I can. Mm-hmm. Like, there's oh, I'd times... be the whiniest. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, it would be I horrible. I sure would be whining. <laughs> I wondered, too, as I looked at that thought of, I wondered at that moment what – the three daughters of Ishmael and his wife and Ishmael see that the daughters and the sons of Ishmael don't. Hmm. So I've wondered, like, at this point to this, like, what are the leading experiences? Because I I believe that Heavenly Father will give us experiences as we seek Him. So I wondered, once Ishmael comes to the family, does Nephi's wife go and pray and get her own witness? Has she already been prepared? You know, I don't know. I know how the Lord has worked with me and how we can see consistently throughout scriptures how he does, but it just makes me wonder some of that as well. So then the process, right, if you remember, is that then they go and they tie up Nephi and then Nephi rebukes them, you know, which I love and just testifies that we need to be faithful to the Lord and that experience, which we, again, as we go through the story, which I love, we often just focus really heavily on Nephi or Laman and Lemuel. We're either pretty critical of them here or we're praising Nephi right, here, which right. is really good. But in this whole experience, his wife is present, right? So let's go to verse 19, and let's think about her for a minute. And it came to pass that they were angry with me again and sought to lay hands upon me. But behold, one of the daughters of Ishmael, yea, and also her mother, and one of the sons of Ishmael did plead with my brethren, insomuch that they did soften their hearts, and they did cease striving to take away my life. And the, the footnote references and helps us connect that that's probably Nephi's wife. Mm-hmm. So what do you wonder as you read that verse? And they're not married yet, for the record. So let me clarify that. It wasn't pick her up in her and get married before they leave Jerusalem. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but she will be, right? So right. 
this isn't maybe a wonder as much as it's like she must have been pretty persuasive and bold to go to her brothers and be like, knock it off, you know, and convince them to right this wrong. So you see her as a woman of strong character. Is that kind of what you're describing? I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. How no, do you... I guess I just thought of someone who was bold and convincing and she wasn't afraid to stand up and speak out and say this is wrong. And It's um, a cool thought. So well, let's go to verses 7 and 8. I'll read. Carly, so verse 7 and 8 of First Nephi 16. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, took one of the daughters of Ishmael to wife, and also my brethren took of the daughters of Ishmael to wife. And also Zoram took the eldest daughter of Ishmael to wife. And thus my father had fulfilled all the commandments of the Lord, which had been given unto him. And also I, Nephi, had been blessed of the Lord exceedingly. What do you wonder? I wonder how they chose each other to mm -hmm. marry. <laughs> For real. Yeah. Right? You line them up by age, height. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. And then I also think it's beautiful at the end of eight where Nephi, he says, I had been blessed of the Lord exceedingly. And it's like, there are so many things that they could focus on that they haven't been blessed. And I mean, they're in the wilderness and it would be so difficult. They've been through so many challenges, even with their relationships. But I love that he is kind of equating these family relationships and the strengthening of his family as just this exceedingly, he feels exceedingly blessed. I think as a woman, is there anything that I would want more for my husband to say about our relationship? than he's just like, I can't believe how the Lord has blessed me with you. Right, and I know it's a little bigger, like you said, because he's expanded it to fulfill all the commandments. So mm -hmm. there are there's a lot in there, but, right? But yeah, I love that moment too. Thinking about, I wonder how Nephi would describe his wife too. Yes. So we have a question, not related to wondering, but kind of related to this idea of maybe a lot of the women that we study in the scriptures, we don't know that much about, and we oftentimes don't know their names. And I know that that's hard for a lot of people, especially women, to feel like, why is my whole gender absent in the Word of God? <laughs> and we know that that's not true. We're not completely absent. But we wondered how you as a teacher and someone who studies and loves the scriptures, how you've sort of reconciled or like accepted that and speak to women who feel like, this is really painful for me because I'd really like to just know her name. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. For me... Heavenly Father gives us each other and men and women to, to see some mortal examples. But to me, the real journey is John 17, 3. And this is life eternal. They might know the meaning Heavenly Father and His Son. Mm -hmm. And so even when I look at, say, Nephi, I may never have a physical connection with Nephi because Nephi's whole existence was to bring me to Jesus Christ. Mm. So at the end of the day, the outcome for me is to know the Savior and my Father in heaven, which means there are going to be people all the time who bring me to him in different ways. Whether they be nameless or recognized, I really don't think it matters if we have the right perspective. And I mean this, Shannon, I just tell my students, like, I don't care if at the end of the semester you remember my name. What I care about is if you knew the Savior's name. And if you knew many names for him, and if you understood his plan, because salvation is about you and I developing a relationship with him. So there are people and there are examples that Heavenly Father gives us immortality because he knows and sees how we learn, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to devalue those. At the end of the day, if we put too much stock in any one person and it isn't God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, then I think that we are missing the mark a little bit to be really transparent, mm -hmm. and hopefully a non-painful yeah. way for people to say mm -hmm. it that way, right? So with that spirit, I hope 
that in all things, our real question at the end of the day is, like I, like I said, I want to relate to her, these circumstances, I'm never going to be wandering in the desert, but what does she teach me about Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. And what does he teach me about Jesus Christ? And I just love my, one of my all-time favorite verses that I think for anybody who ever speaks in the name of Jesus is John chapter 3, verse 30, which because we're covenant makers and keepers— we will speak in the name of Jesus, and we'll have callings, and we'll have opportunities in motherhood and fatherhood. The gift of prophecy, we can testify of him. And John the Baptist just witnesses in one, I think, the most powerful verses. It's super easy to memorize, right? But he states in John chapter 3, verse 30, speaking of the Savior, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so I think sometimes we're asking the wrong question of why isn't there more of this or less of that? The real focus ought to be, what do I learn about Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and my Father in heaven in every single learning opportunity we have? Th- that, for me, is, has been the key. I think the whole purpose in life eternal is to know Him mm-hmm. and His Son. And therefore, if I meet you in a grocery store, you're going to be as important to me as Nephi's wife was. And I may not know your name in a grocery store either. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had this really sweet experience one time, this woman that I will forever remember her face I was in Greece, and we were at the time when they they were rioting the euro and uh, against it. And we had been at the Acropolis. We were just trying to get to a bus station to get back to our hotel. Long and short, we got caught in a street riot with tear gas, right? So before we left, we had had priesthood blessings, and it had said that the Lord would protect us. So we're trying frantically, like we hear all of a sudden, there's just it's this really weird feeling where we are. And people have their faces painted white, and you just feel the energy starting to shift. And here's four of us Americans in Greece, like, where do we go? What do we do? And we're walking as fast as we can. And this woman just reached out and grabbed my arm and pulled the four of us into her shop. And right behind, if you've been here, that pulls down the the metal door that shuts Mm -hmm. between that. And no less than 30 seconds later, we just heard bomb, 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 like all these tear gas bombs going off. And I look at her and forever will as someone who represented the Savior. I don't know her name. I don't know her religion. I pray mm-hmm. that someday Father in Heaven will let me thank her. But literally, I think she saved our lives that day. Mm-hmm. And I look at her, to me, as a symbol of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I think it's about seeing Him in people that we meet, in people in the Scriptures, and not stressing so much. There is a place for gender that matters But there's also a place that sometimes if we're so caught up in missing equality, whether it be race, gender, anything, truth is eternal, emotion, strengths, Christ-like attributes, no, no gender. Mm -hmm. They know no race. They know no religion. I think we need to be looking for him. And if we find him in creation and in humans and, well, we are his creations, but then that's really what we're here for is to learn of him and become like him. Thanks for sharing that insight. So let's take a look at uh, our next story. Will you go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1? So Old Testament, if you still do paper like me, then I always tell my students, it's the big book. (laughs) It's the fat one. So 1 Samuel 1, and this is just another woman who I just fell in love with. So here's the simple skill. The scriptures are the word of God, and so we read them for lots of different reasons, stories, and things like that. I also love the thought of At times when we know we're specifically reading about a person, I love to ask myself the question. So, for example, Hannah, this is her story. So I think to myself, okay, here's this account of Samuel. It's another person's account. But if if Hannah were here, 
What would she want me to know? So she could kind of fill in the white space. And again, I'm saying these things because we don't necessarily know the answers, but I think there's some truth that we can pull from it here, right? And that helps us just continue to think about scriptures. And I should have probably set this up at the beginning. I believe strongly that the types of skills, wondering or thinking about some of these things, even if we don't have answers, opens the door for the Holy Ghost Mm -hmm. to teach us and connect us with how we can connect and what we can learn from these stories Mm -hmm. so that they're not a one-hit wonder for us. Like I just read Hannah one time and connected with one part of her. I can go back over and over again, and because the circumstances in my life have Mm -hmm. changed. The questions you're asking and— The Spirit can do it, Mm -hmm. right? So this one is is a simple, what do you think Hannah wants us to know? So I'm going to save everybody the embarrassment, including myself, of trying to read the names in verse 1 of chapter 1. And I'm just going to tell you, her husband's name is Elkanah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So then let's go to verse 2. And it's not really embarrassing to read names wrong. I always volunteer to do it in gospel doctrine so that nobody feels dumb. And they're always like, oh, she's a seminary teacher. She She knows knows. how to pronounce it. And I'm like, pretty much I don't, but I'm a really good guesser, right? (laughs) So if you're that person who's just worried about that, I just say, good try. Who knows? Anyway, okay, so let's let's go to verse 2. And what do you think Hannah wants you to know? If, if she were here to tell you, what would she tell you about verse 2? Okay. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. I think Hannah would maybe want us to know or to wonder, like, what her circumstances were like that, that led her to have no children. Hmm. But I just had some issues with fertility, and it's just like maybe that was her thing. And so that just kind of makes mm-hmm. me more empathetic to the women in the scriptures and connecting them with my situation and that like they're just women. They have the same experiences and the same emotions and probably some of the same thoughts that we do. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, that's really valuable to me in connecting with them. Super good. Mm -hmm. And I love that the word Hannah, her name means grace, which is a a beautiful tell, I think, too, of who she is. So let's go to verse three. And this one's going to describe us a little bit more about Elkanah. So as we read this, I want you to think what Hannah would want you to know about Elkanah based on verse 3. You should read this one because there's names. Oh, good job. Okay. (laughs) And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, which is where the temple or the tabernacle is at the time. And the two sons of Eli, who's the high priest, and then Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So what, what would she want us to know about Elkanah. Um, he's pretty committed. I love that. I, I've thought before, too, that she might, you know what? I married a really good man. Like, married, it's hard. I can't have children, but I married a good man who's faithful to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, he loves him. Verses 4 and 5. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So what do you see in verses 4 and 5 that Hannah would want you to know? I just think that she was so valued by her husband and so loved by her husband, regardless of her health situation. It didn't mm-hmm. That didn't matter, but he loved her so much. And you can connect with that. Yeah. I also think the description of the Lord had shut up her womb. Sometimes trials come from God. Sometimes they come from other people. Sometimes he causes, sometimes he allows. We don't always know. Mm-hmm. And the thought is to me then, what does it say about how the Lord feels about Hannah, that he would give her such a trial? 
And if we look at the end of the story, right, which is her having a son, spoiler alert, sorry, but if... <laughs> Sister Nubal. I know. But if we look at that portion, we can know how the Lord feels about her. So connect that with the trial for a minute. If she's going to get pregnant and have be the mother of a prophet, what does it tell you when it says the Lord shut up her womb? What do you think she would tell us about her and the Lord? And I don't have a specific answer in mind. It's just a question that I have. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There must have been something she was learning or a process that she was growing. It's a great thought. Because you're kind of like, why wouldn't she have just had the baby, you know, yeah. when she was young or when she could have early on? And how many times have we asked questions like that and even gone to assume that it's because the Lord doesn't trust us or we've done something wrong? Would you see anything in here so far that you said Hannah's done wrong and God's punishing her by shutting up her womb? Not so far. Yeah, <laughs> right? So I, I think sometimes she teaches us and helps us to not make assumptions. I love that thought, Carly, so thank you. So let's go to verse 6. The word adversary can be translated to rival wife, so it's actually talking about Peninnah as well. But Carly, you want to read 6 for us? Mm-hmm. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. So translation, Peninnah kind of rubbed it in her face, which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen that dynamic among two people before. Mm-hmm. What do you think Hannah would say about that? What do you think she'd want us to know? I think she maybe would want us to know to just be aware of women around us. And and we just really need to build each other up and not compare ourselves to each other. But it's just interesting to see this dynamic in the Old Testament and then to translate it to terms today. And it's just like a lot of times we are in these like rival positions and we're just constantly comparing and pointing out the things that we have or don't have in comparison to others. And I just think she might want us to know that she was in the same situation, you know, and she was kind of on that end of it that she was receiving this. I think Hannah might want us to know that and be aware of the relationships that we have with the other women in our lives. Really good. Nice, Shaylin. Okay, we'll go one, one final one. And I actually saved her for last because she's the one I would go the longest on. Imagine me going longer. So I, I knew I'd have to give a shortened version if we did this one. <laughs> so Mark chapter 5 is next to the Savior himself is the person in the scriptures that I cannot wait to meet the most. I hope shortly in line behind the Savior welcoming home is this sweet woman who has been a tutor to me for the last several years. I adore her and I don't even know her name. Mm-hmm. So she's described in verse 25 as a certain woman, which had an issue of blood. And if you look at the word issue in the footnote, a hemorrhaging of some type, we don't know exactly what that was or what that's like. Mm -hmm. But the skill that I want to look at this one, too, is what do you learn about the Savior? What would he want me to know? So sometimes, again, we go to the scriptures kind of saying, what can I learn? And I don't know if we always, there's a difference in my mind between what can I learn and Lord, what do you want me to know? Mm-hmm. about you. Mm-hmm. And that's the question that I, I, I want to ask. What does he want you to know about him? So she has a, an issue of blood, right? Which according to just quick context, according to Leviticus chapter 15, makes her unclean by the law of Moses, which means she can't touch anything or anyone because then they also become unclean. And if you're unclean, then you have to go to the tabernacle or the temple and you have to go through a seven-day period of cleansing. So every time a woman goes through a menstrual cycle, right, she's considered unclean. Or anytime anybody has blood, the human, mm-hmm. they have to go through that process. Hmm. So if you can begin to imagine now, she's, she has the hemorrhaging of blood, how this would affect her socially. 
you know, and we don't know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. We don't know how often it occurs. But what we do know, we learn in verse 25 that she's been suffering it for 12 years. So let's look at verse 26. And I, and I want you to think about this for just a minute. This is one of those ones that's not obvious because it doesn't say, and the Savior, dot, dot, dot. What do you learn about the Savior? And what do you think he wants us to know from verse 26? Oh, I love this. I'll read it. Yeah, go okay. ahead. So this is talking about this woman and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. I just think it's like very evident. This woman exhausted every single Mm -hmm. place and person and solution and no one could help her. And they took all of her money and she was left with all the same problems. And (laughs) And And not just the same problems, but worse. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me this, to that same thought, what does that teach you about the Savior? Well, again, we know how the story ends, that she's healed by the Savior. So this contrast of the healing that the Savior provides versus the healing that's available to us from other sources. And if I were to ask you this question, what do you think he wants you to know from that verse? To turn to him for healing. But even also, I think it is important to exhaust our resources in some ways. Mm -hmm. And maybe she had kind of been inspired to go to those places. Who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's just like we do need to use our resources and the things that we have available to us. I would say like the Savior doesn't want us to not go to the doctor. I don't don't think. (laughs) But I, I think in a symbolic way, knowing where we can find healing. Mm -hmm. Really good. And to be honest, the answer to that question, in fact, the answer to all of these will depend on you and your circumstance. Mm-hmm. What does the mm-hmm. Lord want me to know, right? So this is us today and thinking through mm-hmm. this. And I hope as you're listening, your answer could be very different. Because right now, this is, again, that invitation to say, what do you want me to know is an avenue to the Holy Ghost. And at different times, that verse has meant different things to me. You've captured some of them beautifully, so thank mm-hmm. you. Verse 27, I love this verse, right? When she had heard of Jesus, I wonder— what she heard about him. Mm-hmm. She came into the press and touched his garment. Now, I think this is really important. I don't mean to put down any painting that's ever been done, but when you think of the woman with the issue of blood, you often see that painting as her on the ground and almost just kind of grabbing him as he passes right. by. What does that phrase teach you about her? Well, she was right behind him, it mm-hmm. sounds like. Yeah, she's not on the ground, right? She's up and and coming Following into the, him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I think is very significant. Not because it would be bad if she was on the ground, but I think it's just, can you imagine 12 years of bleeding? Imagine the fatigue. Again, imagine the social risk that she's taking. And she's willing to put herself in the press at the risk of, I mean, maybe, because I, I mean, I suppose at this time, not, she's not necessarily bleeding today. Maybe she's just recently been cleansed. We don't know the exact circumstance. Mm-hmm. But either way, you know, people around her know, her neighbors know. Yeah. She has a reputation wherever she's at, right? But still, she comes into the press. And I just think the incredible act of faith in her, when she feels like she can't give any more, spend all she had, nothing better, only worse, she still hears of Jesus and goes to find him. So what do you think he wants us to know from her example and from this piece of the story based on verse 27? Well, when you talk about the imagery of this story it's almost like she just happens to be on the right in in paintings. It's like she almost just happens to be on the right spot on the ground, and he walks by, that. and she just kind of reaches her arm out and touches him. So this says to me that it was a lot of effort for her, and 
I think sometimes I'm not as willing to, you know, put forth that effort, especially, you know, in like you've said, you've described her fatigue, you've described her situation. It's almost like, can't you come to me or can't you just walk by and I'll reach out and touch your hem? <laughs> but that there is some effort that's required. So what do you think he wants you? And that's what maybe is that there's Oh, that it's required? worth, that it's worth mm-hmm. effort. What about you, Sheila? What do you think he wants you to know from that verse? Kind of going along the same lines as Carly. I'm just imagining he's there, but she had to come find him. And so, you know, he's not even facing her at the time, but she just expended all her efforts to just go to him Mm -hmm. and go touch him. And so I just think that the Savior wants me to know that that's possible and that that's what I should be doing. (laughs) So beautiful. I love her declaration in 28. If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And then she does. So she touches it and immediately, because to your point too, really quick going back, Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of fun to realize she's in the middle of another miracle. So he's actually on his way to Jairus' house, Mm -hmm. right? And she stops him and he stops for her, um, which is always makes me marvel for a minute because he doesn't have to stop. Like she touches his garment, she's healed, she feels it. And it says that virtue goes out of him, he feels it. Mm -hmm. Like couldn't they just have this moment together forever? Right, they both mm-hmm. know what's happened, and then she can. They can both be on their merry way, mm-hmm. and it's all good. But he doesn't. Right, he stops, and she would still forever bear witness of the man Jesus who healed me, and all of our neighbors would know because she could say, "I touched his garment, and this is what happened." Right, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Obviously, all knowing, he knows she's there. Mm-hmm. He's not like, "Whoa, who's sneaking up on me?" Even though he asks it, who touched my clothes? It's an opportunity for her to step forward to and declare. Yeah, I, you know, again. I would invite anybody to just go through the rest of this story, but I I do want to do verse 34 together just because it's one of my all-time favorites. I just think about this moment in 33, fearing and trembling, she comes before him, fell down, and told him all the truth. You know, even his disciples had just said, what do you mean who touched you? Like, we're an oppressive people. Like, lots of people are touching you, right? And, And he's thinking about her. But then verse 34, what do you think the Savior would want you to know? based on verse 34. And he said unto her daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and behold thy plague. The term daughter is really interesting to me, like the relationship Mm -hmm. and that it's a capital D. I don't really know what it means scripturally, but that really stands out to me that that was the relationship he was affirming that he had with her, someone who followed him, I assume, Mm -hmm. and had faith in him. And how reassuring that would be Mm -hmm. to know that that is the relationship that I have with him or that he sees in me, you know? Because you contrast that too, right, with the identity she could have developed based on 26 and 27. Like socially, what identity? What she told herself, right? What has she seen in herself? How have others labeled her? Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. He wants us to see it. Thank you. That's so good. Any other things he wants you to know in verse 34? Well, I think there are some things that we may never be whole of in this life. We've talked about before on the podcast that there are some trials that are lifelong. Yeah, It's just hard because when here it's like her faith made her whole and it's like her effort made her whole. And I think even if our faith can't necessarily make us whole in the way that we want to, I think we can still have peace. He says, go in peace. And I think we can have peace. I think we can be whole maybe in our relationship with God. We can be whole in our understanding of the gospel. You know what I mean? Even if some of our trials don't end like like hers did. 
He's the Prince of Peace. Yeah. That's so good. I just love the witness. I just love that moment, too, of he doesn't say a word to her about all that's happened. I love that he recognizes first what's strong about her, not what she's lacked and been missing. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And I just witnessed he sees us so perfectly. He sees our strengths. He recognizes what we lay at his feet and at the table. And, and I just love in one word, like you mentioned with daughter, he just redefines her. So I just, I love thinking, what does he want me to know and understand, even at this time or this point, right? So these couple skills of just simple wondering, thinking about the person's story, what they would add or tell you, or a white space, kind of fill it in, and then clarifying what the Savior wants me to know. But I just want to testify that of the power of the Word of God and inviting the Spirit to be our teacher. I love that I get to hear His voice anytime, anywhere I want, especially because like literally I was thinking about this podcast last night and I was at the physical therapist and I pulled up the scriptures on my phone while I'm hooked up to the electric <laughs> stem getting heat and ice, yes. right? And I literally had this moment in there of like, I have no excuses, Heavenly Father. The Word of God is literally at my fingertips in any circumstance, and which also to me shows how much He wants to be accessible to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He is saying literally anytime, anywhere, you come to me, and I will give you revelation. I'll, I'll answer. I'll teach. So I just testify of the power of the Word of God and of our willingness to sit and take a minute and think and let the Holy Ghost tutor us. They are his words, and nothing has brought me closer to him more than his word and thinking about it and studying and discussing it. And I just love the Savior, and I love my Father in heaven, and I know that their words are evidence to me. There's not a day of my life that I'm willing to go without hearing their voice. I know we get busy, but I just think, if anybody I want to talk to today, it's him. How on earth would I ever walk away from these, like, taking the time— and making the time, even if it's listening in the car, or like whatever it is, just taking a few minutes to connect and say, Heavenly Father, a lot of people are going to talk to me today. But the most important person for me to listen to is you. Will you tell me what you want me to know today? And I'll go seek it. Thank you, Sister Newbold, for coming with us again and just sharing your love for the scriptures. And yeah, what's beautiful about this is that anybody can have these skills and hear the Word of God every day. And I think it's just nice to feel a reminder of the power of the scriptures and what's available to us yeah. because I think sometimes we just become distant and we don't have those experiences as often. And it's just a good reminder that it's always there. It's always available. And these ideas that you shared today are some great ways to jump back in and reconnect. So thank you. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this special episode, Class with Sister Newbold. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you'll share this and provide any feedback or let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast, or you can contact me and Shaylin at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any feedback or ideas. And while you're listening, whether it's through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the Saints Channel mobile app, um, make sure to subscribe and you can share with your friends and family and leave us a review. Until next time, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.